Some of my favorite commercials right now are these, and I bet you've seen them, these progressive insurance commercials about people turning into their parents. Have you seen any of these? There are two or three of them. And one begins almost like you know, these TV shows, these reality TV shows where you have people like on a couch, they're given an interview or a confessional. It begins with this couple on a couch. And the wife, the woman begins, when we were dating, we used to get excited about things like concert tickets or a new snowboard, but that all changed when we bought a house. She says, when we bought a house, Matt, her husband, started turning into his dad. And Matt is a young man, but then we get all of these glimpses of Matt blowing off the, uh, the, the gutters on the roof with great delight, uh, staring into a computer screen and taking his glasses off from around his neck and clipping them together over the bridge of his nose, uh, shoveling mulch in the front yard and saying things like, this is some good mulch right here. Matt has become just like his dad. These commercials crack me up. They're sitting on the couch, and he begins to nod off a little bit and snore, and she elbows him. He says, oh, I'm awake, I'm awake. They're so funny to me. And then there's one, it's like a, um, it's like a support group for people who are turning into their moms and dads, young men and women. And you have one who says, you know, I started to worry when I began to call every kid that I saw chief. I began to refer to every kid as chief. And somebody else says, a young man says, you know, I started saying defense wins championships. And then another one says, well, it does. <laughs> and uh, another one says, um, I started telling my kids, why don't you close the back door? I'm not paying to air condition you know, the backyard back there. These commercials remind us, uh, in a humorous way, how all of us, in, in some form or fashion, as we get older, are becoming like our parents. And at the end of these, the narrator says, progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Many of you, maybe most of you, have had moments when you say to yourself, oh my goodness, I just sounded like my father. Or, I can't believe I have become just like my mother. As we get older, we become like our parents. In our text this morning, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I would invite you to grab a Bible and go there with me. You can just keep, keep it open on your lap to this text, our text for the day, 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, if you're keeping up with our Bible reading, this is something that you read in the previous week. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, in effect, when I was with you, he's speaking to the Christians, to the believers in this city that he first visited on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17, when he and his co-worker Silas first came into the city of Thessalonica, now a few years later, he is writing this letter to encourage this new, young church, these Christians that have become very dear to him. And he says, in effect, when I was with you, I became like your parents. I was like your mom and your dad when I was in your midst. He says in chapter 2, verse 7, I became like a mother with you. Paul says this. He says, when I was with you, I was like a mother. Not just a mother, but the word here is 
a nursing mother, a mother who cared for you, who nurtured you, who was gentle with you. Paul compares his ministry to the relationship of a nursing mother with her infant child. But then when we get into verses 11 and 12, and these were some of the verses we heard earlier, Paul says, you know what? I also became like a father to you. I was exhorting you. I was encouraging you. I was charging you to walk in a manner worthy of God. He says, I was like both a mother and a father when I was ministering to you. And these verses, these images that Paul uses shows us what effective ministry looks like. Ministry should be both motherly and fatherly. It should have the gentleness of a mother's touch, but also the direction and the discipline that is provided by a father. But indirectly, these verses reveal the distinct yet complementary roles, the distinct yet complementary roles that moms and dads have in raising children. And, you know, we live in a world that is trying to blur the line between gender roles, the differences between boys and girls, men and women, mothers and fathers. But the Bible, God's holy word, clearly differentiates between the roles for men and the roles for women. And so that's what we believe and we practice. And God's ideal for the home is this. Kids need a mother to provide nurture and a father to provide direction. And listen, I'm talking about primary roles here. I'm not saying that a father shouldn't provide nurture or that a mother shouldn't provide direction and discipline, but I believe primarily these are the roles of mom and dad. And I said earlier, this is the ideal. And I know looking out at the audience today, and thinking about the makeup of our congregation here, we have single parents, divorced parents who are heroes in my book, raising your children in, in a single parent home. That must be extremely difficult and challenging for you. And I laud you, I commend you for the great work that you do. We have grandparents raising their grandchildren and you are doing a phenomenal job. It's probably a little bit more tiring to be a grandparent raising a grandchild than parents raising children. I just admire you so greatly for what you do. Families look different based on situations and circumstances, but I think no matter what family situation we find ourselves in, we can all agree that God's ideal is for children to be raised in homes with the direction and discipline of a father, and the gentleness and nurture of a mother. So let's take a a closer look as we get into this text at the words that Paul uses to describe his ministry here, specifically when he says, when I was among you, I was like a father. When he describes his ministry as a father's responsibility. Three words here, look with me. You can look on the screen if you'd like. He says, we exhorted you. If you go back to that, yeah, that previous slide with this, these verses here. We exhorted you. This word exhort, it means to urge strongly. But it also has the meaning of treating someone invitingly. And is it possible that this word here is referring to a combination 
of these meanings? That fathers, while urging strongly, should also do so in a compelling, winsome way? That they should not lord it over their children? That they should not rule with an iron fist? That they should lead and urge strongly, but in a way that makes their children want to follow them? In a way that is compelling and inviting? That's the idea behind this word that Paul uses that we translate as exhort. And then the second word, encourage. This means to console or to comfort. We get this word in John chapter 11, verse 31, when Mary and Martha lose their brother Lazarus, all three siblings, all three dear friends to Jesus, and we find Mary in the house mourning the loss of her brother. And what does it say? That the Jews from their community had come to the house to console her, to encourage her, to comfort her. This is the word behind the word that we get here translated encourage. And then this last one, to charge. This means to insist or to implore as a matter of great importance. To plead with our children to please follow the ways of righteousness. This word is used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, where Paul says, I implore you, I insist, stop acting like the Gentiles. Be different. Be the called out people that God desires you to be. So three words here. Exhort, encourage, charge. And these three brush strokes paint a picture of leadership. This is the word that sort of rises to the top here. As I think about the big picture of these three words, three words that Paul says described his ministry to the Thessalonian Christians, but three words that Paul says should also characterize fathers and how they lead their children, how they raise their children. This is a picture, a portrait of leadership. Dads, fathers like me, we are to have feet that trod a path that's worth following. Hands to hold for guidance along the way. And shoulders for our children to cry on when they're sad or upset or discouraged. Dads, we are uniquely equipped to provide leadership to our children because... Our kids idolize us. They adore us. Kids, I think it's just a known fact that kids are crazy about their dads. And you know, some children work their entire lives, even long after they're grown-ups, to make their dads proud. I told a few weeks ago about Fred Craddock, this preacher, and his relationship with his father, who was not a Christian who did not attend church regularly with his family, and how Fred grew up to become a preacher, and how he was seeing a counselor one day, and after the counselor listened to his story about his family of origin and his upbringing, the counselor th said, you know, Fred, I think I'm clear on why you're in the ministry. You're in the ministry to redeem your father. You want to redeem your father. But you know, the one person that Fred most wanted to hear him preach, never heard him preach. The one person that Fred wanted to be in the audience to listen to one of his sermons was never in the audience, and that was his father. 
And he never remembers hearing his father say, you know what, son, I'm proud of you. And he recognized that in many ways, his life's work was an attempt to make his dad proud and to redeem his father, to save his very soul. And he tells one particularly touching story to me, and I bet I've shared it before. He was back at his home church in Humboldt, Tennessee, preaching at his home congregation after he had become an adult. And after the service, an older gentleman came up to him about the age of his dad, and he said, you know what, when you preached, you sounded like your daddy. And he said that was the grandest compliment that he had ever received after a sermon. Now, this is a guy who wrote books about how to write sermons. This is the guy who taught at a school teaching people how to preach. This is the guy who received countless compliments, I'm sure, about his sermons. The best one that he ever got was when somebody said, when you preached, you sounded, you sounded a lot like your dad. Kids are crazy about their dads. And not only do our children need our leadership, not only does, is this God's will for us as dads to provide leadership in our homes for our families, not only is this biblical, our kids crave it. They thirst and hunger after it. They desire it. But unfortunately, sadly, many aren't receiving it. Because us dads are not doing a good enough job to provide it. A few weeks ago, I mentioned some findings of the Search Institute. According to their study of 11,000 teenagers who go to church, only 12% of youth have a regular dialogue with their mom on faith and life issues, but only 5% talk about faith with their dads. Church-going kids, only 1 in 20 Say, I have regular conversations with my father about my faith, about God, about Christ, about the church, about the Bible. One in 20 of kids who go to church. Just 9% of church-going teenagers engage in regular reading of the Bible and devotions with their families. And I want you to check out this cover of the Saturday Evening Post. I saw this a long time ago. It has, it has stuck with me. It is from May 16, 1959. This was the cover of the Saturday Evening Post, drawn by the great American artist Norman Rockwell. And I think you can see what it depicts, what it captures. We've got a mother and her three children in their Sunday best, marching off in lockstep to go where? What do they have in their hands? Bibles. They're going to church. But what's dad doing? He's still got his PJs on, his robe, his slippers. He's got a cigarette in his hand. He's checking out the morning paper. Already been through the ads, it looks like, if you look at what's scattered on the floor. 1959. This is not a new problem. This, this captures to me a long-recognized stereotype. The dad who is timid, who is feeble, who is not leading his family in the way that he should, spiritually speaking. Yes, it is a stereotype. We still see it in sitcoms and other forms of entertainment today. The hapless, clueless, lazy dad who is not courageous, who is not bold, who is not outspoken about his faith, who is not providing strong leadership for his kids. It's a stereotype, yes. 
But is there some truth to it? I believe there is. But let me share something that's even more sobering than this. You can still take your kids to church regularly and still not exhort, encourage, and charge them to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls them into His own kingdom and glory, to use Paul's words. Us dads, us fathers, we should feel challenged. But you know what? That's enough of that. I, I, really, want to, I really want to change course here, and I hope you don't get whiplash from what I'm about to, I'm about to, to really go in a, a different direction here. It's all going to connect, I hope, but, but I'm going to stop with what I have been saying, the, the tack, the tone that I've been taking. I'm going to stop coming down on dads. Because we do a lot of what I just did in sermons, in Bible classes. We tell people what to do, don't we? When you come to church, when you sit in a class, when you listen to a sermon, you get a lot of that. What I just did. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you're not doing. Here's how you're falling short. Here's what you need to do. You need to do this, 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 and that. We do it a lot. But sometimes we don't do a good enough job of showing people how to do it and giving them the tools and the resources and showing them the sources of strength in order to do what we call people to do. We do a lot of telling what people ought to do without showing them how to do it. And I think that's a lot like putting somebody in a car, telling them go to Nashville right away, but not filling up the tank with gas and expecting them just to just be able to get there on an empty tank. It's like giving somebody an uprooted plant, telling them to, to get it growing right away, but not providing the soil where it should grow. Us dads, we are not going to be able to live in the way that I have just described without the Lord's help. It is too big a job for us to do on our own. I love the story about the little boy who asked his mother one day, do you think that I could go over there and pick up that big rock? That big rock over there? And she says, yes, I'm certain you can lift it if you use all your strength. So he goes over and he tries to lift the rock. He tries a bunch of times to lift it until he finally says, Mom, I just I couldn't do it. So she goes over there with him and together they lift the rock. And she explains to him that sometimes using all your strength means asking for help. And I would change that sometimes to all the time. Using all your strength means asking for help. Being the husbands and fathers that God has called us to be requires the Lord's help. A lot of us think, Maybe out in the world we think love is just a feeling and emotion. Let me, let me tell you something, and you would agree with me. Love is hard work. Committing to love your spouse, love your wife, committing to love and train up and discipline your children every day, that is hard work. That takes commitment. That is not an easy task, and you cannot do it on your own. 
You cannot do it by your own strength of your own abilities. You will fail every single time. We need help. We need divine help. We need help from above to make it happen. And if we don't get that, we will fall short every single time. But, but here's the tricky thing. It is harder for men. I'm speaking generally here. It is harder for men, harder for husbands, harder for dads to ask for help. Even from people, yes, but even from God. Why? Because we've been trained to believe that we have to fix everything. There is this notion in our culture, there's this messaging out there. Maybe it was messaging in your own home from your own dad. Son, handle your stuff. Fix your mess. Deal with your issues. Don't rely on other people to help you. Don't reach out and ask other people to assist you. Handle it on your own. That is the fastest way to, to be a failure as a man. To be a failure as a person, period. We must receive help from above to be the fathers and the husbands that God has called us to be. Using all of our strength always, always includes asking other people for help. And you know what? When you tell people to do something, when you give them more rules, like what I just did in the first half of this sermon, I said, Dad, step it up. Come on. Let's rise to the occasion. Oftentimes, when it's just that, telling people what to do, you, you don't get good results. More rules, more responsibilities feel burdensome. And maybe if you're a father sitting out in the audience today, that's how you were feeling. Goodness, a heavier load on my back, more burdens on my shoulders, you feel even less worthy, even less up to the task than when you walked in the door this morning. When you pile on rules and regulations and responsibilities, it becomes burdensome. Sometimes it makes us want to rebel because that is our human nature to sin. And we want to say, don't tell me what to do. Don't you boss me around. Don't you give me all those rules and responsibilities. And I'm not just making some personal remarks here. These are not just my own reflections. Paul says that the law, and by extension, laws, have this effect. This is what he talks about in Romans chapter 7. If your life is all about following rules and, and laws and responsibilities, that reveals sin to you. It can seem burdensome to you. And sometimes it makes you want to sin even more. But I've got some good news for you from Paul, from the words of Scripture. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Paul says, But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Praise be to God that we are no longer under the law, that we do not become righteous by following fastidiously the law. And what I want to say to all of us, but especially to the dads this morning, you will not live in the way that God intended you will not live up to your high calling unless you daily commit to being led by the Spirit. You will not be the dad that God has called you to be if these are just rules for you and if you think that you just have to follow them by your own strength and abilities. 
the gospel. Maybe some of you need to hear this word this morning. I bet you've heard something like it before, you believe it, but goodness, I need a refresher in this every day. The gospel is not, get your act together and then God will love you. The gospel is, God loves you, now get your act together. And it's actually not even that. It's not get your act together. It's God loves you, and he will guide you, and he will hold your hand, and he will help you to live in a manner that is worthy of him who calls has called you into his own kingdom and glory. That is gospel. And a gospel sermon is never just the front half of what I have preached today. It's never just holding people to a high level of expectations and rules without the back half, without saying that all of this is established on the love and grace of God, and you cannot do it without His help. So what I want to end with this morning is an invitation to experience the grace of God. For our fathers, yes. For our dads like me, yes. But for you all. You see, because grace is the fuel in our engine. Grace, the favor, the very favor of God, is the soil that makes beautiful things grow in our lives. And the only way earthly fathers can fulfill their calling is by the grace of our heavenly Father. Goodness, it's the only way any of us can. And that old phrase, there but for the grace of God go I, that should be on our lips daily. I am nothing without the grace of God. I can do nothing without the grace of God, without His presence, without His Spirit, without His love. I am totally incapable of being the man of God, of being the right kind of father, the right kind of husband, the right kind of leader in my home and in his church without his help, without his strength. There's no way I can do any of that. So I will, I will end with an invitation to experience the love and the grace of God. You experience the love and the grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through confessing His name, repenting of your sins, being baptized so that those sins can be washed away and coming up a brand new creature in Christ. Or if you've done that, if you're a baptized believer, but you believe you have fallen short and you need to rely on the strength of your brothers and sisters, Using all your strength means asking for help. We need each other. We really need each other and we need God to help us along the way, to help us travel this journey that we call life. If you need prayers this morning from the church, if you need forgiveness from God, any spiritual need in the house today, why don't you come and make that known as we stand and sing?